Hello and welcome back to Stat Chat. I am Dave Klatsky of Colgate Men's Basketball. It is great to be back with y'all after what seemed like a short summer. And we're back now, back in action up here in Hamilton, New York, trying to prepare for the season. Today's guest was or is Josh Leffler, who is a good friend of mine and currently the head coach at Johns Hopkins University. Josh was able to offer a unique perspective, having coached at both the Division One and Division Three levels. So Josh and I do this often where we talk, we bounce ideas off each other, we talk hoops, we argue with each other, we come up with new ideas. So this was kind of kind of cool in that we recorded one and we're going to put it out for all you. And, and we touch on a lot of different things, including maybe a new stat for some of you guys that care about defensive rebounding. And then just a whole lot of other stuff from taking a program over and what to do to how to grade your players in an efficient way. That's not the end all be all. So I um, hope you all enjoy this one. It's great to be back on the airwaves. And uh, here we go. Hello, Stat Chatters. Welcome back. I hope everyone had a great summer. I'm thrilled to be back with you all. Tonight's guest um, is the head coach of Johns Hopkins University, also a very good friend. Um, Josh Leffler has been through the ranks here. He started, he's been to a lot of places. So, Josh, tell me if I get this all right, but uh, Hamilton, Williams College, he was head coach at Stevens College for a couple of years. Then he transitioned to the Division One level where he was at Lafayette, Loyola, a year at Rutgers, and now he's back at Johns Hopkins. Josh is also the guy that got me started as he took me on his first year at Stevens. So great to have you, Josh. Did I did I get that all right? Yeah, I mean you. You're close. You missed, uh, I did a year at St. Lawrence, but it's hard to keep track of the, uh, the early years, you know. Um, ah, and, uh, I, I, I am happy that you look finally back at that year at Stevens. I was always a little worried that you thought we were all, uh, wasting your time. So I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it all worked out well, Dave. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. We had, we had a squad that year. So, uh, you know, good things that year and, and the year after in that one too. For sure. But, um, but good. So good to have you. I wanted to jump right in to um, you just talking a little bit about what you're doing at Hopkins now in terms of, I guess we can start with what you track on a daily basis in practice or, or, or practicing games. What are, you, what are you tracking these days? Well, it's not my proprietary, uh, it's not my proprietary uh, formula or anything, but, um, you know, Places call it hustle stats. Some places call it player efficiencies. Um, you know, it's been a uh, pretty well-documented uh, formula for just kind of trying to quantify the, the things that coaches think go into winning, you know, um, things that are, you know, regularly occurring in practice. And um, really was lucky to be able to replicate what guys like Randy Bennett and Kyle Smith do, um, now Todd Golden and, and some other programs. You know, John Andrzejczyk was on staff with me for the first year here, and um, we were able to to use player efficiencies uh, in order to 
really try and figure out who's playing the best and who are the the best lineups at Johns Hopkins. And, you know, what that really means is we, we chart every uh, live segment of practice and every game, and we have 31 categories that we uh, keep statistics on, and that's, that allows us to kind of get a gauge for who, who we think is uh, the best guy at their position or, or the perimeters and the posts and that sort of thing. So, and this sounds similar to what we've talked about on the show before, but have you tweaked that at all, or did you kind of just take it um, exactly from what John Andrzejczyk was doing with Kyle Smith? We tweaked it a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, ah, we took it and then we made it our own and it's a completely new thing. I mean, I think a lot of the things that, you know, have helped Kyle get to Washington State are – you know, really true for winning basketball games at any level, at any place. You know, they they value things that are important, and we we try to value those same things. We did tweak it some. I think we pared it down a little bit. I, I mean, there's a chance at San Francisco and uh, Wazoo that they're, you know, keeping track of almost 50 things or, or more, you know. Um, and then we, we tweaked the weighting of the – different statistics just a little bit to kind of reflect what we really wanted to uh, emphasize and, in year, and in what year was, one. What was that? Uh, what, what were some of those things that you saw that might be more valuable that you needed to focus on that might have been different than some other teams or some other programs? Um, well, going from year one to year two, we tried to uh, weight it a little more heavily to de-emphasize turnovers or to emphasize not turning the ball over. I, I don't know if it was actually that successful, but, uh, you know, I think we could turn the ball over less still, but we um, we tried to weight it a little more heavily that way. Um, you know, we just kind of simplified a few things. Anything that, you know, I, I think that's the, the key to all of this is, you know, you want to have something that you you think really holds the guys accountable and emphasizes the things that you find most important, but you also don't want to um, you don't want to overcomplicate things, and you certainly don't want to throw too much in front of the the team. So that I think that was probably the most important thing to me was just making sure that we didn't have redundancies and we were simplifying it as much as possible within reason. And what did you, what have you found from doing these stats? Has it matched your gut? Have you found uh, a secret, like not a secret, like a player that maybe your eyes were lying to you about or that other people undervalued that you now value more? Did you, did you find any of that in doing, in doing these stats? I don't think so. I think it mostly, uh, I think it mostly confirms what you're seeing on the floor, but I think, I, I think there's a, I think there's a couple things, you know, number one, um, doing hustle stats or player efficiencies or whatever you want to call them, it emphasizes the coaching staff going back and watching film of practice, uh, which I think is, is just important in general because there's a lot going on in the practice and you forget things and you don't remember the correct order of things. And sometimes you blame the wrong guy or you give credit to the wrong guy or you don't see things the right way. 
So just the practice of having to go back and watch the film, I think, is really valuable. Uh, the second thing I would say is that, um, you know, mostly you go in and you go, hey, you know what? Uh, player X is getting blown by baseline a lot when we watch the film. And then everybody goes, yeah, like, that makes sense because it certainly seems like in practice that he's getting blown by baseline a lot, you know? Um, I think a, a really interesting thing was our first week of practice at Hopkins, uh, we had a really good indicator of why this type of statistical, you know, analysis can be beneficial. And I think it was really, really valuable for our team too, to see it kind of play out in front of them. And it, it, I, excuse me, I don't want, I don't want to be too long winded here, Dave, but it's kind of an interesting story if you don't mind if I get into it. Um, go ahead. You know, like, so we got to the seventh practice of our, of our first year and, uh, you know, the first six practices we had, you know, our player efficiencies and the top five guys, um, were our, a guy who would become our two year starting center and defensive player of the year in the league as a junior. Um, three freshman guards and a a four man slash three man who, who would go on to become a really valuable player for us off the bench as a junior and uh, incredibly valuable as a senior starter. And I was looking at it and I was just going like, is this flawed? Like, is there something wrong here? Cause these three freshmen, are they really outperforming these other guys? You know, like guys who had put up really yeah. good numbers in college, you know? So I said, like, you know what we're going to do? Like, we only had 10 guys at that time, and we were missing a guy who was a really good player, first-team all-league guy, but he was out with an ankle. So I, was, I just said, let's, let's just put the top five against the second five and see how it goes, you know? And uh, my assumption, like my, my hypothesis was, these freshmen are going to fold, you know, they're going to look like freshmen. And, you know, so we had seven, the next day in that seventh practice, we had seven live segments. And those top five guys who were performing the best in the player efficiencies, they won all seven live segments. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that goes back to like Kyle Smith has talked about that where coaches are so fearful of, not trusting the numbers and he's he's obviously a guy that trusted a lot it sounds like that this was kind of like your first true test of it like yeah yeah your your best your 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 best players might not be who you think the best players are uh if you're if you're not following these type of things so uh that's that's pretty interesting you know we got done practice and like some of the guys on the second five who just got you know skunked were like let's run this back again tomorrow I was like, yeah, fine, okay, let's do it. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> like statistically, that's probably the thing we should do. You know what I mean? Like, let's, yeah. let's run this experiment again. And the top five guys went six and one the next day. So it was really easy after those practices to say, like, does anyone like doubt that these things really matter? You know, and and, so, and so, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say so. That is always the question that I like to hear every different answer because I think that's that's what coaching is all this is what coaching is all about. But how are you relaying these statistics or these emphases to your players? Do, like, like, are, yeah, is, yeah. Are you, I, I, do you post it every day? Do they do they even know all the thirty one categories? 
Like, yeah, how we are post you it, relaying? Yeah, we post. We post it every day. Yeah. So they they see a tangible number every day of how they did um, each and practice. They, they see how they did every practice, and they see what their cumulative uh, statistical score is. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And then, and, and so then here, do, do they buy? It? Well, I, yeah. I mean, and and I'm not dumb. Uh, well, I'm not as dumb as people think. I I, uh, <laughs> I think I think there's always going to be some skepticism from somebody, you know. Um, sure. Especially especially if you're not playing well, like it's really hard to go. All right, maybe maybe I'm just not very good right now because of these things. Like that's it's hard to self analyze like that. Um, I think. The one thing that we've done, and, I, and again, this was not my idea. It was not a Johns Hopkins idea. It's something that we took away from other programs. But what we've done, these player efficiencies are not, like, fatalistic. They're not deterministic. They're a, they're a tool to help guys get sure. better. Like, sure. those bottom five guys who weren't winning, some of those guys were more talented than the guys they were losing to. They just weren't doing some of the right things. So it was a really good tool for us to be able to say, hey, you're you're probably better than this guy if you'll do X, Y, and Z instead of not doing X, Y, and Z. And so what we do now is, and we've done this from the start, and it, I think it helps because it allows the guys to understand that these efficiencies are meant to be a tool to get better, not to tell guys, hey, you suck. Um, we give guys two goals per week. So after six or seven days of practice, we'll go, hey, uh, Dave, you know, here's two things we noticed. You're turning the ball over at this rate, and that's killing you. Try to get to this rate by next week. And then you're never, ever crashing the defensive boards as a point guard. You've got to check back, get to the paint, and help us rebound. And and we want you to do – we want you to get to this number on that uh, rebounding next week. And then the next week, we, we realize. And we tell the guys, if you hit two out of two goals every week in the preseason, you're absolutely going to force us to play you because you're going to really improve and you're going to be doing things that really win games. So yeah. – we try to give the guys tangible goals to reach every week that that just show that they're improving. Yeah, I, I really like that, and I think I think like you said, it's a tool. But one of the things that is so valuable about having a system or something that you track is it does make your emphasis more obvious. So. In your guys, you have 31 different things, and they may not know all 31, but they probably, I'm guessing, know about 15 to 20 pretty well, and yeah. that's what they know you care about. And who cares if they agree or not? You already know it leads to winning, and if they're trying to, to please you <laughs> doing those things, it just helps everybody. So yeah. I, that's why I really like having systems like this. My, my question to you, and I'm sure a lot of the D3 coaches out there wondering the same thing is, how how do you do it without a staff of three assistant coaches and ops a video um what what do you you have two full time assistants or you have, what exactly do you have that yeah, you're I have able two, to yeah, do this? I have, yeah i have two assistants um who are in the building two, every day you know two assistants um, in the building and those are, yeah. are they helping you with this or is this all you are you no no doing? no they're they're definitely helping well year one like andrew check just wanted to do it on his own so like have at it, big boy. Like, 
Right. You want to do hustle stats on your own for, you know, three hours a night? Godspeed, you know, so. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is how long, uh, you know, on average, um, let's say you have a two-hour two-hour practice, which I'm guessing is kind of average for, for you guys. Uh, how long afterwards will that take them and you to well, you got, finish you that project? So in the beginning of the year last year, I thought it was really great. Like me and Trevor Johnson and Ricky Hernandez, uh, we would take the film. Now, remember, we're only statting out the live segments of five right. on five. That's all we're like, – Right. So it's only now, about a half hour of live. Yeah, correct, problems. correct. Yeah. yeah, correct. So, you know, you convert the film at night. You uh you put it over into, you know, uh, whatever it is that you use. And then what we did early in the year for quite a while was every morning we'd have, like, a staff meeting, and we'd watch the film together, and we broke down. Uh, one of us took rebounding. One of us took offense. One of us took defense, and we just statted it out together. And it was actually a really good thing. You know, we've had a lot of staff turnover here, um, just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, it was a really good way for us all to get on the same page as a coaching staff, too. And because as you're doing it, you're also going to have just um, you're going to you're going to just have arguments, normal kind of arguments, conversation. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're going to have yeah, like, but good arguments, what, what, I'm sure, right? Yeah, the, yeah, great, great arguments, and um, and then you know you, you get it done, and then as the year goes on, like you get caught up doing other things, right? You got scouting reports, you got this, you got that. So everybody got the film. We'd all kind of do it on our own time on our computer, and. Uh, just hand it over to me, and then I didn't put it into the the spreadsheet, and there you go. Now it's up in the locker room. So um, it is time intensive. Like I'm not gonna lie. Like you got to dedicate, you got to dedicate time to it. But you know, because of that, I think there are other programs that like it, and they pare it down a lot. You know, and they decide like, okay, this is the one aspect of this that I think is most valuable, and it's not gonna eat up a lot of my time. So we're gonna do this. You know, and I, yeah. I think I think there's real value in that. Let, let me ask you something that we're kind of like our office has been debating that maybe you, you can have an idea about. Um, we're trying to dumb it down to the point of a way to track defensive rebounding yep. as simplified as you could, really keying in on the major points. Meaning like, so the, the, the argument, not argument, but the discussion we always have is, here's an example. Uh, I'm guarding the point guard at the top of the key. Shot goes, I run in, and like I turn, I look, my guy's not coming, I turn, I go, and the ball bounces over my head to the guy that I just, where I was. Now that, I look bad there, but obviously over time, me coming and, and being around, you know, the, the key area, I'm going to help more than I'm going to get hurt. So, yeah. But I didn't get the rebound there. So we're trying to figure out a way to grade rebounding in in a way that I did something so I shouldn't get penalized, whereas, like, if I just stood there and then my guy crashes and I did nothing, that's really bad because yeah, then sure. he might get the ball. So is there? can you think of a way yeah, um, well, for people that may not have the time or may not have the, the computer expertise of Johns Hopkins' uh, – students or, or staff um, to kind of keep it simple and find a way to grade like you're a good defensive rebounder because you're disciplined and you get the ball. Like just two things to it, right? Like you got to be able to stay disciplined and box the guy, but then you also, the really good defensive rebounders have that discipline, but also don't get abused by the good offensive rebounders. So to me, yeah, there's I, always two things. I would say for every shot that goes up, right. Um, you, you, 
you reward the guys when they box out correctly. So, like, maybe it's a plus two for every box out or um, time that they, they – like, as you're, if you're a guard, you're not always going to have to box out. But like you said, if you Correct. check back to the right. key. Um, right. And that, that should be probably – so, basically, plus two maybe when you do the right thing. And then maybe a minus three when you don't, you know? Yeah, um, and then maybe a, yeah, and then maybe and like then, a minus but then the one, one thing I would say, the one thing I would say that would uh, reward the guys who are actually productive rebounders, right? Because what you, what you right. want is you want disciplined and productive rebounders, right? Like yeah, so then make it yeah. make it a plus make it a plus three for every defensive rebound you actually get, like the the, the highest yeah. thing you can get. So now if you box out and you get a rebound, now you're plus five. Like that's exactly what you want. Yeah, you know, that, that's I mean, best case if you win that battle while having to box. Because, like, you know, we have a guy, Rapolis Ivanowskis, who he's one of the best defensive rebounders in our league, but he doesn't he doesn't ever really box because he just goes and gets the ball. So yeah. I, I don't want to tell him, like, you missed a box out, you should be penalized when he's just more athletic and taller than everyone, he's getting the ball. So that you're right, you have to have, like, result-oriented a little bit, too, in that you get points for a rebound. So there you go. We, we just created a new system for all you listeners out there that want to keep it simple. Plus two if you do what you're supposed to. Minus two if you don't do what you're supposed to. And plus three if you get the ball. So the most you can get on one play is plus five. And then I'd be curious to see how this would work out over a preseason or over, you know, in games. I, I might try this out this year. And, and you know what, like, all. it's funny that it's funny that you brought that up because like when we first started doing it this this year with uh, I'm sorry not this year but this past season um, we had a freshman who was just like a really natural rebounder and I even expressed like I wonder if making him box out is going to take away from his ability to just go and grab rebounds right sure it didn't like it just did. He was able to do both. He could he could yeah. check and go get the ball because he was probably yeah. just had a knack for getting the ball and staying more disciplined helped him not get the, the re- ball against better players. Because also, Dave, like the reality is, like how many times do you completely miss a block out and actually get the rebound? Not many. Like if a guy Never. runs in front <laughs> yeah. of you, I'm so thinking like if you whiff, yeah, yeah. So like you're I, like I've watched rap and like. There aren't a lot of times some dude is just running by him, you know? (laughs) He's at least doing his job on some level. And we're not – like, that's the whole thing. It's like, this isn't perfect. Sometimes you have to be like, you know what? Like, he hit the guy. The guy spun, and he decides, like, all right, he's spinning away from me now. I got to go – there's, like, areas as a coach that just be like, nah, he did his job. That's good. Like, that's a really good job. That's a great basketball play. Yeah, you know, I, like, I think I think what we're trying to protect against, and I think this is probably most coaches out there, is the plays where you do nothing, where the shot goes, you just absolutely, turn and yeah. and you're not going for the ball, or you're not looking at your guy and checking him, so he just runs right by you, and and you absolutely. don't get punished all the time, but over time, those are losing plays, and and yeah. you're going to get over, beat over time, over the course of the season, those plays get you beat, you know that, yeah, and for um, sure. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think the re- to be honest, we talked about it all the time, and and a lot of guys like Trevor Johnson was an assistant for me last year, and he got the head coaching job at Buena Vista in uh, Iowa, and uh, he talks about it all the time. He's like, 
you know, this the the rebounding aspect of this is it's maybe the most valuable, you know, because it just it allows yeah. you to it allows you to coach rebounding really um, consistently and with great accountability without just screaming your head off in practice. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, and, and I think but, rebounding is so important because we, we did we look we tried to look at um, you know mid major not not like high major teams like kind of mid-major and lower teams that have done well defensively over yeah. the last five years and one of the constants you know obviously the four factors is so you could be good at one not good at the other but one of the constants was most of those teams were really good defensive rebounding teams meaning they finish yeah, sure. possessions yeah, so that absolutely. was one of the constants we found so that's why rebounding matters so much in this, this system that was created by i think randy bennett and kyle smith so and, and um, at the end of the day, like, like the same thing that I was like yelling about when we were at Stevens are emphasizing this stuff. Like, defensively, it's transition D, it's executing ball screen defense the right way, it's contesting shots, and it's finishing possessions. You know, it, yep. it, it hasn't, it hasn't changed in the 12 years since we were at Stevens. It's just, we're we're just statting it out now every day. Perfect segue because I, I I've I've wanted to ask you. So you were head coach. I think we went over this was the oh six oh seven oh seven oh eight. Yeah. And now, yeah. now the last two years at, at Johns Hopkins, how has your how has your style or like what you how you coach how has that changed over ten years with the with the way the game changed with your maturity. With you getting older, like just anything on your mind, how how is how has it changed over those years? Well, I think I've been um, exposed to like a lot more different things. You know, like it's just time; you just see more stuff. So, you know, and that could be guys you work for, that could be teams you you scout, that could be just teams you watch on television. You know, but I've seen more stuff, so I think I just have more to to call upon. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. but that's any, that's, that should be anybody as they move along, right? Um, I think I'm, I, I would, I would at least hope I'm more mature and patient. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm as mature and patient as I should be, but I think I'm more mature and patient. Um, I think, you know, those, those are like the soft skills, right? Like, um, I think I'm a little, I, I mean, I'm still gonna be me. Like, no one's ever gonna like tell you, like, Hey, I met Josh Leffler. That, that he seems like a really patient, uh, laid back guy all the time. <laughs> like no one's gonna say that, but like I think I'm more patient and a little more like respectful of process than I probably was when I was at Stevens because I'm older and it's, sometimes I think I'm just more tired because I got to run around with my own kids, you know. So <laughs> like I think there's that, but but then like just when you get back to the like the basketball stuff. Um, you know, I think we were a little bit different in 06, 07, 07, 08 because not a lot of people were playing small back then, you know. And, you know, we were one of the few teams that was taking a kid like Waleed Fareed, who's not a kid anymore at all, but um, he's a coach of Hartwick. But we were taking Waleed, who was really a wing slash kind of combo, but he was big and strong. And we were like, let's play him at the four, you know. And uh, we were just spacing guys out for round one and really trying to open up as many driving lanes for tons of ball handlers. Um, and that 
I think that was a little bit novel still at that time. And that really hasn't, that's not the case anymore. Like the majority of people play smaller now. The majority of people um, are going to utilize a four man who's more like a guard than a, than a post. And so I think that's changed over time, you know? So I, th- I think, I don't know, maybe if you remember differently, but I think that was an advantage for us then. Um, and, and I don't really think that just playing that way now is a, is a decided advantage from the outset. You know, and that's only an advantage if you have a kid like Waleed who's also tough and will defend bigger kids, you know. Um, right. It, it almost worked out back then without, like, without even it being popular, the way the roster was structured is that, like, you know, you, you had three other guards and where you're not going to – you had to play them all because they were really good. And then Waleed could play the four and he could guard bigger and he could play the point sometimes. And, and I think what that did was – like you said, you were a little ahead of your time when people may have been like, you can't play a, a, a versatile four at that point. And, and now, like, I think if you had that same roster, it'd be obvious that a versatile four is important for all the reasons that we, we know now, uh, for spacing the floor and, you know, adding those driving lanes and driving kicks and things like that. So, um, so I think that, that, that you said it best, like, you were a little ahead of your time. I don't know if you said it that way, but I, 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 I definitely was, didn't say. I, I, Dave, I want to make it clear that I definitely didn't say I was ahead of my time. So I want, I want to go on the record with that. Well, thank, well don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not. I'm saying it was complete luck. So yeah, thank, thank you. I think we can all acknowledge. No problem. That. I think we. I think. I think what it was was um, that first year was like all right. I, like Bobby Hurley and I were sitting there like I, I you know these are our five guest, best players, right? Like, how do you get those guys on the floor together the most? So I think that's the, the biggest thing. And I think that's the one thing, um, like, we're very different stylistically at Johns Hopkins, defense and offense, than we were at Stevens. How so? And, well, at Stevens, we were really – we were pack line defense, you know. Um, we were We were trying to do – essentially what Dick Bennett was doing at Wisconsin at that point um, or Washington state or wherever he was then, you know, so we were pack line and yeah. then we were, we were four round one, just kind of, I mean, it was really pass cut, fill blocker mover with like a lot of dribble drive. Right. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like crazy, but, it was yeah, like not a, a whole round wall screens at that point. Yeah. No. And we, 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 you know, the one thing we did that was, that was like a little different at the time was we did do that inverted ball screen a lot where the point would set it for our four. And that, that was like, just kind of, I don't know. That was unique because Waleed was really a point guard. Right. And we had, and we had point guards who would screen hard, you know? Um, and now at Hopkins, we're, we're not pack line at Hopkins and, you know, we're, we're doing some Princeton B line two guard Fran O'Hanlon stuff on offense. So, um, now why really, did you change defensively? What, what, what do you, um, what led you to change that philosophically? Well, I thought it, I thought at Stevens, we were able to apply really great ball pressure in the pack line. Like we had, I mean, we had really good athletes. I think you and I would agree on that, you know, um, both years. So like we were able to have like Floyd Morris and Virgil Gray and Waleed, uh, heat up the ball. And then that made the pack, I think, really, um, 
really tough to go against because we were forcing drives into a pack. Um, and then, um, you know, I just don't, I don't think we, we, we don't have that type of ball pressure. We haven't had that type of ball pressure guy at, at Hopkins for two years. You know, we have good defenders, don't get me wrong, but we haven't had, um, as good a guys there. And then I, I think the pack line was really good at Stevens because we had some guys with like great instincts. Like Waleed, Virgil, and Anthony Pasolacqua, and as Virgil Gray and Anthony Pasolacqua, like well, they were ball hawks. Like, they were really good at stunting in gaps and actually affecting the ball and creating turnovers, which made because the pack line can be, it can be a really um, passive defense if you're not doing a couple things in it. And those guys made uh, with the ball pressure and just being really active swiping at the ball and things like that, they made the defense less passive. Um, and I just think we're, our personnel is different here now, you know, so I don't meaning, think... It, meaning, like, meaning that you'll have to play a little bit more aggressive to make up for that lack of athleticism? Yeah, so I don't want to be passive on defense. I think if you sit back on your heels on defense, it's really hard. You're just letting the defense, uh, you're letting the offense dictate. Um, you know, so... You know, we're, we dictate a little bit more on the ball now. Um, and then I think two other big things, Dave, like at the time, pick and pop threes weren't that popular when we were at Stevens. So, like, it's typical in a, in a uh, pack line D to hard hedge every ball screen, right? Or, or to, to, to kind of blitz every ball screen. And that's what we did. And we didn't get burnt that much by pick and pops on that. Well, pick and pops now are as big a part of the game of basketball as as anything maybe. So part of the thing when we started talking about how we were going to play defense here was just how are we going to guard ball screens? Because if, if you start there, I think your half court defense has a chance to be really good. Um, so I didn't want to hard hedge on the sides and like open up that pick and pop. And um, so I just, so what do you that, do? Cause like, this is obviously one of the major differences between a lot of teams is your ball screen defense. What, what do you do now? And why has it been effective? In your, we, ice in your on the, we, we ice on the outside thirds, and, uh, you know, that's a little different than a lot of people do, you know. Um, why, why and why do, why do you like that? Uh, I, I just think, why do I like that? That's a great question. Um, I didn't like it as much last year because we weren't as good at it, so that, was, right. that wasn't as, you know, like – now, we were still a good ball screen defense team, but our my first year here we were the we were really good at it. I think everybody else also has had a year to you know see it and get you know this is how we're going to attack it. And I don't think we were as good at our fundamentals in it last year, so that was frustrating. Um, uh, but why do I like it? I think um, I, I think that it's a little different than what a lot of people do, and I think that it eliminates some of the things that I hate getting beat on um, when it comes sure. to, to ball screens. Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and you know, no matter what you do ball screen, you're vulnerable to something, right? Like, um, you know, yeah. if, if you ice and, and you play against a shooter, they're going to be open, and, and uh, the, sometimes you have a little more space in an ice, and if you better have some good hedges, and cutting can, can, can rectify or uh, can neutralize that. But I just think it's interesting 
And I'm going back to, you know, when I played and, and even what we did at Stevens, how you basically everyone when I was playing, it was hard hedge, right? Like blast yeah, and get back. Because nobody yeah. was, like you said, nobody was picking a poppy. No one was, you know, slipping out of the ball screen. So you're way behind. Like it just, you slip, but you slip to the rim. So you always had somebody back there. And yeah. then I feel like the ice came, came along. The NBA teams all used it and everybody kind of went to the ice. And now the ice has kind of been in vogue for like four years now. And now I feel like teams are trying to kind of figure that one out. And I know our yeah. team in particular, like when we saw ice three, four years ago, there was like a little bit of like, what do we do? The guy's standing right there where I want to drive baseline. And now it's like we have three or four different counters that our, our whole team knows what to do when someone's icing. And now I'm seeing people go back to hard hedge because you want to take the ball out of the guard's hands, especially at our level where the guards are so good and make yeah. somebody else make a play. So I just think it's, it's so funny how it works. And that's why I asked the icing because it's, it, it works until it doesn't, you know, and that's, we're, we're always trying to tinker with our ball screen defense to figure out what is the best thing to do now and with who you have. And, yeah, no uh, doubt. It's tricky. No doubt. It's definitely tricky. And I had a I had a conversation last year with a coach who you know he called me and was like, "Hey, I'm really interested in how you ice. I want I want to ice, you know." And we talked a lot. And he's a really good coach. Um, and then at the end of this year, we were talking. He goes, "Ah, you're gonna really hate. But we 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 were really bad at ice. We didn't ice. We just switched and scrambled out like that kind of stuff." <laughs> and I was like, "I don't actually care how you guard ball screens. I uh, I think you should just guard ball screens, which <laughs> what works best for you. Like I'm not like married right. to the idea of like I'm not like." I'm not like a zealot, like a religious zealot for icing ball screens. You know, I I could care less. Like, just do what wins you games. Like, it was just, it was exactly. kind of a funny kind of yeah. Like, no, I, I take no offense to if you want to switch everything. Like, good. Yeah, I didn't create the ice. It's not, it's not my system. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't actually created anything I coach. I steal everything. So, it was, it was just kind well, of funny, you know. Well, I, I think I, I think another thing I'd like to hear, and I'm sure other people would like to hear, is so you have now basically two for two in programs you've taken over in kind of taking that next step uh, in in your early years to get to a really successful point with both of them. If you could just talk a little bit about the method to your madness, like how you were able to do that both <laughs> at Stevens and at Hopkins. To, to really, you know, to Stevens probably best year ever and Hopkins, I don't know their history well enough, but, you know, uh, to win the league and, and make it to the NCAA tournament in your first year, pretty impressive. So is there anything that you did in taking a program over that you would advise others um, or could just give some insight? Well, I think it's madness to suggest there's a method, you know, so – I don't, I don't know if there is one, um, <laughs> but you know, I think I've actually been really lucky in both spots I got to um, that there were good players, you know, um, and there were really good leaders. I've been very fortunate to have taken over spots that had strong captains who were very good players who set a tone every day, and I think that's really important. Like. Um, having players who get everyone else to buy in and do the right things is, I mean, that's, we only have so much influence as coaches. So 
you know, I, I've been very fortunate to have walked into those situations, guy, guys that I didn't recruit, you know. So I think I'm, I'm, at, I'm very lucky in that regard, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think one of the things I, you and I would maybe talk about this at some point, and, you know, one of the things that's, I think, um, really important to me is, um, I don't, I wouldn't, I, I don't think any, I don't think anyone would say I'm like, I like lacked a lot of confidence or anything like that, you know? I, <laughs> I, I, but, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Uh, in a lot of things and the thing I might be the most confident in is I'm not the smartest guy and I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room and I want to have a great staff and like I've been really really fortunate in both spots to have unbelievable assistant coaches and like one of the things I've done here at Johns Hopkins is I've really tried to hire people who I think are intelligent people who have worked for other great coaches, people who have awesome ideas and people who can add to our program. And I was lucky at Stevens with the same thing with you. And, and I, I got gifted Bobby Hurley, who was unbelievable. Um, Anthony Ziobro, like we had a great, and like we had debates on that staff, right? Like we weren't, I don't want yes men, and I was really lucky to have assistance. You and you, maybe mostly, um, would be like, <laughs> no, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. And I, I think, I think being okay with confrontation on your staff is okay. It's a good thing. Like I, yeah. I've been, I've been very, for, I've been very fortunate at Hopkins to usually be way less intelligent than some of the people in the room, and. You know, they, I get challenged and, well, why did you do it like this last year? And I give an answer and I'm lucky to have had assistants who go like, I don't know if that makes any sense. Like we should do it this way. And I like, I, I like that. Like I'm, I'm, yeah, you and I are similar in the way that like, I think that we think that's like healthy and I think debate is good. So that confrontation I think has been really healthy for me. Um, and the programs at both Stevens and Hopkins. You know, yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think you have to have that, and I think um, good. Ar- we talked about this earlier, but good arguments, as long as you can get o- like if you can get over them, and people don't like get sensitive, they're very healthy. You know, yes. it's the, pro- yeah. the problem becomes when somebody gets mad because their idea got shot down, or or you know, you think you're right and I think I'm right, and you just can't ever come to a. That's fine. That's gonna happen. But yeah, uh, no doubt. But uh, enough uh, tooting your horn for a second. <laughs> I want to transition transition into uh, kind of shooting. And just talk a little bit about um, kind of what you guys do to work on shooting. Like, obviously, you, have, you can't work with your guys like we can right now or in the postseason. So you start October 15th, and you have, I guess, I don't even know, three and a half, four weeks. What – how are you working on shooting and are you doing any shooting drills? Any, um, I'm going to kind of leave it open-ended. What, what do you do for shooting? I think the biggest thing is um, recruiting guys who like to get in the gym so that like during this period when we're not allowed to work them out, um, they're in the gym working. Um, it's nice that we have smart kids and they remember 
kind of the things we've emphasized and the drills we do or whatever, and they and they do them during the fall and the spring on their own because um, they believe that they help. Um, and then I, I think we just really emphasize, like, you can't just play pickup. You can't just lift. You have to get in the gym. You have to work on your skill set. And if, if all you're going to do is get in the gym and work on shooting, like, that's a really good thing. Like, that that's the one thing. Like, please don't forget to get shots up. You know, so I think that's really huge. During the season, um, I'm probably guilty of not getting guys enough shots in practice. It's something how much? I'm trying how, to... how much? How many? If you let's say you practice for two hours, how many of those minutes are just shooting? Just shooting? Oh, it's probably too few, Dave. Like, like five to seven last year. You know, like really. So that's but, like one drill maybe a day of yeah, like shooting. Two, two, it might be nine or ten minutes, like, you know, but like, I think no, we I'm have not to saying do, that's too little. Like, you guys no, are, I'm just, I mean, it, it's different. We get 20 hours a week and four hours in the off season. So like, we, you know, you guys have different rules. So I'm not, you might not have the time to do it. I, I'm just curious. Well, what we really, what we really try to emphasize is, and this is where having assistance is huge, is getting guys in the gym before and after practice during the day and just getting workouts in all week. You know, like we don't have enough time. Like that's the problem with, with some of this is you don't have enough time to get everything you want in and shoot as much as you want and be good on defense, you know? So you have to, you have to utilize your, your staff and, and the time during the day when guys don't have classes and you have to get shots up. You know, what, what are, do you have a, a shooting drill that you do every day or one that you really like um, that you think helps like as a, as a whole team? Um, I always, I always really liked, and this is, it's a Fran O'Hanlon drill. We, he used to call it leopard shooting. So we call it blue Jay shooting. You know, you just have two. you guys probably did it at Penn to be honest. You just have two yeah, lines. We call it Raider the, shooting. <laughs> yeah. It, it's that, it's the same drill and you're just working on your footwork and your different shots and, and delivering good passes and, you know, I, I think that's a great drill. Like, I really do. Um, and we have target numbers that we try to get to. So for anyone who's listening, it's just you have two lines. The first guy in one of the lines doesn't have a ball. You can start where you're filling up to the top of the key. You're filling from the corner to the wing and from the top of the key to the wing. Everybody's filling to the same spot area from these two different lines. And the next guys are just feeding them passes. Maybe you go for a minute of um, – threes and then you go for 30 seconds of shot fake one dribble pull-ups and you go for 30 seconds of shot fake side dribble threes and then you know you just there's a progression and i i just think that's a really good drill you know yeah that's a little that's a little bit different than what we do for raider shooting which we do we do in every pregame we do a drill now that i think is pretty cool that uh, we call it four minute shooting and it's just three balls and your first minute is top of the key three, so the line is on the wing, and you pass, and then you go to the other line, and you get your own rebound, or you can have a rebounder under there, and then the next minute is from the wing, and then the next minute is you switch as as it goes, so you're back to the top of the key, but, you know, coming from the other side, and then the last minute is, you know, on the other wing. And it's it's very simple. Everybody shoots threes. We You know, if you, if you have a guy that can't shoot threes, he's allowed to shoot you know, 15 footers, but for, for at least this year, our team, everybody's shooting threes and our yeah, goal is yeah. 80 every day. 
you know, and we have we really have a drone. Yeah, we have a drill like that too, and it's like most of the best shooting drills are pretty simple. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, well, I, I'm gonna use uh, I'm gonna use this as a kind of a tangent to something that I did this summer, and I went through. I was listening to Cody Topperts, who's now at University of Memphis. He was with the um, Phoenix Suns for a couple of years. And he was talking about how do you get your threes in games? And are you practicing the threes you get in games? So I was like, you know what? <laughs> I don't know. So I went and I, I tracked every one of our threes in league to see what kind of threes you we were getting. And I think the, and we were seventh in the country in three point shooting this year, percentage or something like that. So we were a very high percentage, but I wanted to make sure we were practicing the right ones and we weren't wasting our time. And what yeah. I found was about 30, to 35% of our threes were what I call paint and kicks, meaning like somebody drove and got like close to the paint, didn't have to be exactly in the paint, but like a drive and kick type shot. And that's good because we, I don't know about you guys, but we practice that all the time. Absolutely. Um, but what I, what I also found was another shot that we shoot all the time, which is a, on a loaded ball screen, a throwback to the shooter. We had very few probably like eight in all of the season, which is something that we also practice every day. So I would, that, that kind of made me think about, you know, like, whoa, that, that maybe I don't need to work on that one as much, and I need to work on some of the other things that I found in this study. So it was pretty telling. It took me, you know, it probably takes about you want to try it on your own team. I would say it took me a total of three to four hours. You know, yeah. you know it takes, you know, 10 to 15 minutes a game. But it was pretty interesting. It was uh, it's pretty I telling a, and, and good yeah. to see. So, I think that's a great. I think that's a great study. Like doing things like that in the off season is really important. I think, you know, just yeah, evaluating. Definitely. You know, when you have some space from the season, I think going back and seeing that stuff, it's really telling. Yeah, I I, I think so too. And you find out some things that like you kind of know, but you might not know. You know, like one of our players is really good, like, coming up to, coming up to court and shooting the ball, you know, and, and yeah. you kind of know it, but, like, until you no, see just, the it, numbers, you verify verifies. it. It, it, it incriminates, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 my assistant now, we, he just joined us, Matt Colpoise, um, he came from Penn, uh, Penn State Barron, which is a great program. Um, Dave Nyland's the coach there. He's a tremendous coach, and he's been doing a, uh, analysis of, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but all of our guarded threes and, um, you know, just breaking down how much time was left on the shot clock when we took it uh, and how the shot came about and who took it. And it just gives you some statistical inferences that are really interesting that are, are pretty telling about the types of shots you should really take and not take, you know. I like the timing issue of it. What what have you found? Has has he finished it yet, or what? Oh, what, he, what, what are the preliminary what you, findings? What do you find is that most guarded threes early in a shot clock are bad. That's what you find. Yeah. and and right. there are outli- and there are outliers that uh, you're like, yep, that makes a lot of sense. When you see it, you're like, that makes a lot of sense. You know, like you're saying, like, yeah, that that does actually make sense, but. The majority of guarded threes before late shot clock are just not good shots. Right, right. Which makes sense. I mean, that's not rocket science, but no. it's it's no, something you can then use with your players yeah, to exactly. emphasize it even more. Like that's a horrible shot. We just 
subtract that and we shoot 22% or something, yeah, you, you know, like yeah, that. Yeah, you I, can I find the, you can kind of find the point per possession or expected point per possession. I think what's really interesting is like what, when you see what the outliers are, you're like, okay, like that's a good thing that we can use in early offense or that's something that we can, you know, also use to teach. And I, I think that's, I, I, it's been, we, we try to have a couple of those kind of studies every year on both sides of the ball as a staff. And like, I think they're really great. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, I want to do a couple of uh, quick hitters here uh, okay. before, before we get going here. Um, first one is going to be, can you teach shooting? There's an old Steve Donahue, uh, uh, argument. Can you think, teach shooting or can you, or should you just recruit shooters? Go. I think you should recruit shooters, but I think to some level you can teach shooting. I think you can fix certain things. You got to figure out what you can fix as a coach, but I've been around some really good shooting coaches and I've seen guys teach shooting. Uh, I mean, I saw Matt Blue at Lafayette work with Rob Delaney every day and Rob Delaney turned into a good three point shooter by his senior year to the point that you know, he was all tournament team in the Patriot League that year and a really good player. Um, and when he got to Lafayette, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat, you know. So I, I've, I've seen guys learn how to shoot step by step by step. The, the biggest thing, I think, in terms of teaching shooting is you better you, – you have to have guys who are willing to learn in that, in that setting and, and want to learn. Because if they don't want to learn, they'll just tune it right out or they'll miss on purpose. But sure. – I mean, I think there has to be a base level of being able to make enough shots or having the right base level mechanics. But yeah, you can teach shooting. Can you teach? Or should, uh, two two part question. Do you Not have a quick any charge? Two part question, Dave. Yeah, I know. It's a it's a. a well, you've never had actual. Mid, you've, never had an, <laughs> you've never had an actual quick hitter in your life, so that's fine. No, no, definitely not run for me. So. No, <laughs> but uh, do you? have any charge drills and can you teach players to take charges or is that something that guys just are good at or not good at? We don't do charge drills because uh, they actually petrify me and you can emphasize it, but I think generally the guys who are good at taking charges take charges and the guys who aren't maybe luck into a couple during the year. Do you Just in a quick aside, do you remember the charge drill we used to do at Stevens? I think yeah, it was, probably, it, uh, it was it was probably a pretty bad idea, Dave. Like it was just like it was like you definitely can't time. do that now. Our athletic trainer no. have us by the throat. So no. real quick, what it was was if you bailed on a charge, <laughs> you would immediately have to take three charges from somebody barreling in from the corner, the top, and the corner while the whole team watched, and it was awesome. But you cannot do that anymore. And, it's only uh, awesome because no one ever got a concussion. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's where our athletic trainers would not be okay uh, with that. I know. I know. What? Uh, I actually, I kind of forgot about that until you just said it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Good times. Good times. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Josh, this is this is great. Um, you know, we, we have these talks all the time, but we finally were able to put it on the air for others to to listen to. Uh, always great to bounce ideas off each other. Um, so I, you know, I know you guys don't get started for a little bit, but best of luck this year. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll see you on the road, but great talking to you and good luck. Thanks for having me, man. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. You're the, you're one of the best and, uh, the, the job you guys have done at Colgate is nothing, uh, 
nothing short of <laughs> I, I mean it's just you guys have just done such a great job i think the whole country should take note of it and uh you guys deserve all the accolades that you receive well i appreciate it this year will be interesting we're, we're excited but we've never been in the spot with expectations you're up in hamilton so we'll see so how we handle it it means you've got you've done it you've done it no doubt, no doubt. You're right, you're right, you're right. All right, Josh, I'll talk to you. Thanks, Dave.